Good morning, and welcome to today's PSA programming here on KNCI. KZZO, KYMX, and KHGK. Operated by Bonneville International, I'm Cody Robinson. My first guest is John Destachio, board president of the Amador Ventures Association. He's here to discuss their upcoming Behind the Cellar Door event. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourself and provide a little background on what you do? Yeah, so I'm uh, John Destacio. I'm actually the owner of uh, Destacio Vineyards, uh, one of the wineries in Amador County, but also I'm the current president of the Amador Vintners Association. So what exactly is the Amador Vintners Association? So it's an association of uh, 40-plus wineries in uh, Amador County, That uh, and the association really is there to support the wineries in uh, marketing and uh, quality and training and Basically, just uh, as you might guess, any association would really trying to uh, make people aware of the some of the great wines we have here and great winemakers and uh, elevate the regions outside of just a local area. Sure. Absolutely. So what can consumers expect from the Behind the Cellar Door? Let's talk about this event. So Behind the Cellar Door, as the name suggests, really gives a, a consumer a look at the process, the winemaking process. And in this case... Um, they'll have the opportunity in many of the wineries to meet with the winemaker, understand uh, the cycle of the of the crush through bottling and everything in between. And so it's really a great opportunity to get an up close and personal look at the winemaking process that uh, produces the the end product that we work so hard to do a good job on. So how long has this event been taking place? So uh, definitely more than a decade. Uh, We were trying to go back and find out exactly when it started, and it may be closer to 15 years, but it's been one of the original signature events of the Vintners Association. Great. Now, how has the event transformed over the years? I think the the biggest transformation is that I think previously it was more of a, a passport event. In other words, people would buy tickets and they would just go to different places in the valley. I think over time, and partly because of COVID, but even post-COVID, we can provide a lot more personalized experience when people make reservations and select the wineries in advance that they want to go to. So I think it's a much more personalized experience doing it that way. And that's been a a recent transformation in the event. Oh, good. Now, what makes this wine event so unique? Again, I think the biggest difference is that it's an event that really showcases the winemaking process. We also have an event called the Big Crush, and that's during the crush time of season. And typically that is a, an event that uh, you know, showcases the process at that point. But this kind of covers the whole thing. And again, there's a lot of opportunities to meet with the winemakers themselves, and they can talk about their varietal selections, how they stylize their wine, some of the unique things that they do. And then, of course, there'll also be food and, and music. So it's a, it's a really unique event and a special event compared to some of the other things that we do on a, a more ongoing basis. Now, why should consumers attend this event? I think the biggest thing is it's a great opportunity to get an introduction to Amador, but also to get an introduction to the winemaking process and to really taste some great wines and, and see an area that'll that time of year is typically beautiful. We should expect this weather to break pretty soon, and we're going to have wonderful flowers and green grass and just a beautiful time of year to visit. Oh, good. Now, what are the Amador Venters trying to accomplish with this event? I think the biggest thing we're trying to accomplish is 
again, raising awareness of the quality and the diversity of our region in terms of the styles of wine that are made, the technical processes that people undertake, and really just introducing more consumers to the area that may not have been here in the past. We have a a great loyal following of consumers kind of far and wide, but there's always an opportunity for them to bring friends or others to come check out the region for the first time. Now, what are the benefits of having this event for Amador Wine Country? I think I think it's really an opportunity for us to showcase the things we do, the the level of quality, the, the level of uh, beauty, as I said, in this area. But also, it's, it's just a great way for us as wineries to come together and, and show what the region has to offer both individually as a winery, but also collectively as, as a wine region. Now, I asked you about the event before and what makes it unique, but what about Amador wine country in general? What makes it different from all the other wine regions in the area? Growing conditions, the soils are very unique. We're at a, an altitude that we can grow many of the varietals that are grown in the Rhone regions of France, Italy, Spain, Portugal. So we have a great diversity of types of varietals that we can grow. We're very well known, of course, for Zinfandel and Barbera. That's just where it starts. And there's a lot of unique opportunities to taste wines that really do well in this region. Now, where can listeners get tickets? So they can they can get tickets at uh, amadorwine.com slash beast behind the cellar door. And um, those uh, are available now. And, and if they put in the code radio, $5 off, um, your listeners get a discount on those tickets. Great. With the code radio? Yes. Radio, $5. Awesome. Now, where else can listeners connect with Amador Vintners Association or just Amador Wine Country? Or Is there a website, social media? Yeah, they have AmadorWine.com is the website, and it has all the information. You can obviously click through and go to Behind the Cellar Door, but you can also just go to the uh, AmadorWine.com site, and it'll link you to all of the wineries where they're located links to their website as well. All right. And is there anything else you'd like to add about Amador Vintners Association or Behind the Cellar Door? No, I just uh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, we hope to see everybody out here on the uh, 25th and 26th. Great. Sounds like a good time. That was John Destachio, board president of the Amador Vintners Association. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit AmadorWine.com. That's AmadorWine.com. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station. My next guests are with Naughtywood Barbecue, and they're here to talk about their Pellets That Pay It Forward program that supports nonprofits helping veterans. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourselves and provide a little background on what you do? Sure. Hi, my name is Spencer Defty, and I am the CEO and co-founder with my wife, Laura, of Naughtywood Barbecue Company out of Woodland, California. And we make a premium barbecue pellet for the barbecue industry, and then we also make our famous Naughty Rub with a happy ending. All right. And Alex? Uh, my name is Alex Jeregi. I am a veteran. I served for 11 years, did four tours to the Middle East, and I stepped on an IED in 2012, uh, lost both my legs. And currently, I'm a commercial beekeeper here in the area. 
All right. Now, Spencer, I know you touched on it, but what is Naughty Wood Barbecue? How long have you been in business? What made you want to start Naughty Wood? So we're out of Woodland, California. And so my wife and I, we have multiple businesses and Naughty Wood's our newest one. We founded it in 2019, launched the business in 2000, April 2020 and during COVID. But outside of the Naughty Wood business, we also have a construction company that services a lot of our ag industry. And so we do a lot of custom farming work. Okay. And so our clientele was asking us to get into taking out orchards, not a really good business model. So we started looking at revenues outside of the work to offset some of the losses that you can sustain. And Mm -hmm. um, we all barbecue with almond wood and with these fruit woods and nobody else in the world knows about it. So we thought, well, hey, let's try and make a barbecue pellet. They told me you couldn't do it because the wood was too dense. And I was like, here, hold my beer. Watch me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Several million dollars later, here we are. Love it. Very nice. Well, happy to have you here. Now, what makes your company different from all the other barbecue pellet companies? So the dirty little secret in the industry is is it's it's unregulated. And although it may say 100% hardwood on the bag, does that exclude cabinet flooring and furniture remnants? Mm. No. Does it exclude whatever they can throw in there? No. And so our... Our mission was to provide a safe, clean product, and so we are the only company that actually harvests the trees at the end of life, processes them, makes them into a pellet, bags them, and puts them in, so you know exactly what you're getting. We also do commercial testing to make sure that they're chemically clean and that they're healthy through an independent laboratory, and then we have those lab results. We've had them checked by a PhD and. I guess it would be food science and um, to certify that. And so we're really unique in that space where we don't. The other secret about it is is there's one manufacturer that really makes most of the pellets. He does north of 300,000 tons a year. He puts them in all different bags. Most of them are alder-based, and then they use essential oils for flavoring. Mm -hmm. The problem is is they're vegetable oils, which aren't real good for you, and they also kind of leave a bit of a bitter finish. We don't do that. We're 100% natural, all hardwood. And so it's really a clean, sustainable product, and um, it's quickly becoming known as the premium product on the market. So it's pretty cool. Great. I like it. And the other thing is is that we do is we have a program that everything you purchase from Naughty Wood, we have a fund that we put together that services our veteran community because my wife and I formed a foundation in 2009 to help our veteran community out. And in 2012, we were honoring our Korean and World War II veteran, and then in 2012, we switched our focus to the guys that were coming home, like Alex, and uh, that program's done some real good. And that's why you're here today. So let's talk about it. What is the Pellets That Pay It Forward program, and who do you help exactly? My wife and I formed a small foundation known as Patriots for Veterans in 2009, and we're fortunate enough in our business models to have dollars that we can use in philanthropy. And so our choice of philanthropy really is the veteran community. Because really, I mean, if it wasn't for what they do, Cody, none of us could. We would, right? Right? It's just, and it's generational. From World War One all the way to where we are today, it's an all volunteer army, you know, military, and they. My wife and I refer to these people as the extraordinary, ordinary people in our lives, where mm-hmm. they seem like they're so ordinary, and the things that these people do, man, right. it's incredible. Yep. I mean, Alex's story is just an incredible story. Yeah, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. Now, let's talk about the programs or services that you provide through the Pellets That Pay It Forward program. What organizations are you working with? 
One of our main focuses is we, what I call cross-pollinate with other veteran nonprofits. And there's a local one here in Sacramento known as Ranger Road, founded by Mikhail Venikoff, who was a 2nd Battalion Ranger. He served and uh, just a great guy. And his organization has outdoor activities that help veterans reassimilate in and have a reconnect with other veterans. And so we're a big fan of Ranger Road. And then we do specific projects for local veterans in our community to help them with different things. Like Alex lives in the country. We paved his country property so he could get around easier because as an amputee, it's tough. We had another veteran who bought a home and had a support dog and needed a dog run. So Mm -hmm. my sons went over and helped him build that and monies from that went to that. So it's very specific projects for specific needs, but then also some blanket monies go to like Ranger Road to support their Alex's, the program manager for their skydiving. Um, oh, cool. And so the other thing we do is there's a local family in Woodland, the Ariave family, and they had three children who lost their father in 2005. And mm-hmm. so um, through a local Marine who was a veteran, Rex, uh, Matt Rexroad, who was one of our supervisors, he had put the call out to help. And so we answered that call and we made it a commitment to make sure that all three of their children got their educations paid for. And so even today, we just I think we just scratched a check for like $4,400 for oh my gosh. Natalie's uh, finishing up her school. And those kids have become just a part of our life. You know, I mean, yeah. we take them deer hunting and get them out in the outdoors. And um, so, yeah, it's just important to us. So how can listeners support the pellets that pay it forward program just by simply purchasing the pellets? Purchasing the pellets. If if you want to donate to a nonprofit that does good work, I would drive your traffic straight to Ranger Road. Okay. Um, they're a great rangerroad.org, and you can donate there. Great organization, and I can guarantee you the money's not being wasted. It's going directly back to these guys, and it does some great work. So one of the things we also do, we've had a program for high-casualty infantry units mm-hmm. where we're bringing those units back together, have maybe been disbanded after they've been Right. Um, released from their duty and bring them back together. And it's a faith-based program where we bring them back, we minister to them. They stay at our ranch for four days. Mm-hmm. They sleep together. We cook together, clean together. We have outdoor events, whether it's go pheasant hunting or paintball. And then we have a lot of downtime and we have breakout sessions every day, twice a day to talk about suicide rates, PTSD, TBI, where, where guys are, what guys have gotten out of the woods, how they've gotten out of the woods mm-hmm. and reconnect those guys. And Alex has been a part of every one of those. Wow, that's fantastic. Alex, let's turn it over to you. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about your story as a veteran and and why this program is so special to you? Yeah. So like I said, I was in the military for 11 years. I did four tours, two in Iraq and two in Afghanistan. And in 2012, I lost both my legs after stepping on an ID. And so after my two years at Walter Reed, I moved back to California. Mm -hmm. And that's when I initially met Spencer. Um, He was very involved in – I got a house by a nonprofit, especially Adapted House. And Spencer was involved in the uh, building project of that. And so I initially met him there. And then when I moved into my house a year later is when we really our friendship kicked off. So, again, he was still heavily involved with my life, uh, and we became really good friends. Uh, One of the things about veterans that come back home is we have trouble connecting with the civilian people because, you know, different experiences. While people are talking about their football highlights, you're like, I've been in firefights. I've been in, you know, three months without taking a shower. So you just don't relate. And uh, me and Spencer were able to kick it off because his involvement in the uh, veteran community and his uh, loyalty 
Um, he's the one I go to whenever I need business advice. Uh, like I said, you know, he was just on his own based on observation of me walking on gravel and taking falls here and there. He took it on his own, and I was on vacation when I came home. My whole driveway was paved. And so um, – well, he's being a bit modest. <laughs> he he wouldn't if if I told him I was going to do it. He wouldn't. He would say, "No, I'm paying you." And I'm like, "No, nah, but he's gone. We're right. just knocking it out." <laughs> so yeah, I, I came home from vacation, and this my driveway was uh, completely paved. You know, and uh, the organization he's talking about, Ranger Road, um, it's therapy through extreme sports in the okay. veteran community. You don't ever get that adrenaline you got going to war, yeah. and so guys go in these deep holes, if you will, mentally, start getting in their heads. And one way to do it is to show them, like, hey, you can still do the disabled veterans. You can still get this adrenaline somewhere else. And so we have, they have a scuba diving program, a skydiving program, a race car program, and just regular working out at the Uriah Favor Gym. Oh, nice. Um, and there's other uh, hunting program as well. I personally run the skydiving program. Every program is ran by a severely injured veteran, and there's zero paid staff. And so uh, when I met through Mikhail, I was going through a really hard time. And so long story short, I made the introduction with with uh, Spencer and Mikhail, and uh, like I said, Spencer's a very, you know, when he sees you and knows what you're about, he's a very loyal friend. Yeah. There's no limits to, you know, what, how he'll help you out. Oh, I love that. Now, if anyone wanted to get more information on the Extreme Sport nonprofit, what was that called again? I'm so sorry. Ranger Road. Uh, okay. So it's rangerroad.org, and it's founded by Mikhail Venikov. He's uh, won the best ranger competition in 2006, and he's a currently a, a police officer. Great. And what's the support been like from customers for the Pellets That Pay It Forward program? The support that we garner for the outside community and in our veteran community is really driven by that loyalty and those people that are buying. And so we take a small portion of all of that and add it up. And so we pay that out over time. And I think today it's been well over $20,000 that we've put out into the veteran community through this program. Fantastic. Um, and so we've, on some of that, like when we did his driveway, we kind of projected out ahead. So there was, there's still funding coming in that's paying for part of that. But sure. the program is really designed so that not only people get in the highest quality product, but they know that they're supporting a family owned company that has traditional American values right. and really is doing good work with that. So people can really feel good about it. It's a sustainable product. It's repurposed wood. It's family owned. It's healthy and clean. And this is just a bonus. Right. Now, where can listeners get more information on the pellet program? Do you have a website, social media? Yeah. So you can find us on social media at Naughty Wood BBQ. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, TikTok, and then you can also just find us on the web at nuttywoodbbq.com. And it's, uh, yeah, it's everything's on there. And uh, by all means, reach out to us. Um, and if you would like to donate, uh, you know, to a good veteran program locally here in Sacramento, rangerroad.org is a great place because of those guys are supporting your local veterans. And if you know veterans that are in the dark, please, please, please have them reach out to Ranger Road. And if they want to reach out to them through us, through the Naughtywood Barbecue site, fine. We'll, we'll make those connections for them and try and help them because there's a lot of guys out there and it's just really – they get into that space and it's really easy to get isolated and feel like you're alone as a veteran. Right. Nobody understands you and understands what you're going through. And so like when I connected with Alex and some of our other local veterans – that's one of the main things is like when you start connecting these guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really cool because once they get familiar with that with each other, there's a certain solace. They don't have to talk about war. They just know that each other knows what they've been, been through. Yeah. And it's that connection that can really yeah. help. And 
So if you're a listener and you're in that space, man, reach out because we got some great programs and we have a lot of fun and you're in a group that it's really a safe group that you can go back to having those that dark humor and that fun that you had in theater or in country that you that you miss about it. It's kind of like embracing the suck is what they call it. <laughs> and is there anything else you'd like to add? I uh, hit up his social media because he does a bunch of hot, how-to videos. Okay. And uh-huh. it's very informative. I just saw a video he did the other day on the Alpa store and tried it out, but – Again, it's just his cooking's amazing. All right, I'll have to check it out. And that's Naughty Wood Barbecue on Instagram. Spencer, did you have anything else you want to add? For all you guys listening out there, thank you to KNCI for letting us have this spot because it's important that we support these guys, whether it's through Ranger Road or through our Pellets That Pay It Forward program or another program that you know about there out in the community. Please, please, please reach out. Tell these guys thank you for their service. And, you know, God bless this country because we have these guys and gals. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. That was Naughty Wood Barbecue talking about their Pellets That Pay It Forward program. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit NaughtyWoodBBQ.com. That's NaughtyWoodBBQ.com. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station. My next guests are with the Northern California Care Planning Council. They're here to discuss what caretaking is, advice for caretakers, resources, and their upcoming coffee talks. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourselves and provide a little background on what you do? Well, hello. My name is Stella Nsong, and I am with the Northern California Elder Care Planning Council. We are a nonprofit partnership of organizations and professionals who are serving people dealing with challenges that face the elderly. And my name is Lou Bazinel. I am the state director for the Northern California Care Planning Council. All right. So what is the National Care Council's mission? What services do you provide? So we are a group of providers, and our main mission is to be able to connect the elder care journey into all the different services that is needed for employee family caregivers or family caregivers in general. These providers are made up of 18 people, all the way from caring for their loved one in a facility setting to home and everything that is needed from your visiting physicians to medical equipments to home health or home care services. And these are all connected to each other in a way that when care is needed or support is needed by a family member, we become the one-stop shop for all those services. Great. And for those who might not know, what is caregiving? Caregiving is the greatest act of love. It does not matter who is caring for your loved one. It may be your neighbor. It may be somebody from your parish, or it may be your sister or your loved one. But it doesn't matter who is providing your care. What matters is the sacrifice that you are doing and the support that you are giving to this person. Right. Now let's get into the coffee talks that you've coming up. What are they exactly? When are they and where? Chronic illness talks with coffee and cake. It's our most fun, most relaxed, most comfortable most inviting activity. It's 60 to 90 minutes of what we would love to call you time. Just Mm -hmm. come over and 
talk with us. Let's make it all about you if you're a family caregiver. So we help you. Um, we teach you about chronic illness. We teach you about resources. We help you find solutions. We help you um, feel supported. And sometimes if you just need to cry, that's okay. Aww. If you need a hug, that's all right. Just come on over anyway. So we have these scattered all over the, the city. And it's just a place for caregivers to come stop and rest. Aww. Yes. I love that. So necessary. So when is the next one and where? Our first one will be March 22nd, 11 a.m. through 12.30 p.m. And it's a Wednesday. We will meet at the Senior Center of Elk Grove. Okay. The next session on April is on the 26th, 11 a.m. through 12.30 p.m. And our May session is on May 24th. They're all being held at the Senior Center of Elk Grove. All right. Now, who provides the cakes? <laughs> we bring the cake. We bring the coffee. All we're asking the attendants to do is to just stop, come take that time for themselves, and come hang out with us. We will answer questions. We have lots of hugs to give. We have tissues for when someone needs to cry. Aww. And we have resources when someone needs to learn. And we know where to find money for care. We know where to... Um, go for help. We know um, how to help. We teach you how to help your loved one live the fullest life possible. We love to say that we love situations where older adults can live out loud. Yeah. It, no matter what their chronic illness is, we want to teach them how to live with it, how to be full, how to get the most out of each day, no matter what. Right. Now, will you be discussing certain topics during these coffee talks? Yes, we will talk about what a chronic illness is. We will talk about what makes it chronic versus what makes it acute. Symptom management, palliative care, in-home care. Should you go to assisted living? Is it time for assisted living? How do you know? And what if you're in assisted living and you don't like it there? We will help find solutions. Sometimes it's just maybe talking with the people who care for you Mm-hmm. so that they understand what it is you need. Because sometimes right. it's just either miscommunication, right. you know, misaligned expectations, all of that. So we talk about everything, including just play some music and hang out. Sounds like a good time. So where can people get more information on these coffee talks? You can either call us at 916-832-3754. And our Facebook page for the Northern California Care Planning Council is also up. We will be posting these events online as well on the Facebook page. Now, for someone who might be new to caregiving, what's your best advice? We got quite a few. Number one is to find a way to know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. that most families are involved in caregiving and that there is help. Number two advice is make it a priority to plan for care. Mm-hmm. Number three, home safety. Last one is self-care. The mm-hmm. caregiver is the most important person in the care circle. And when the caregiver is cared for, the care recipient thrives. Right. Because in caregiving, the life of the care recipient and the life of the caregiver are intertwined. Mm-hmm. When one person is doing great, the other person is doing wonderful. Right. And where can listeners get more information on caregiving in general? Besides calling us, they could follow us on social media. 
but a very, very good place that they can find lots of information, tutorials, is the platform called Care, Walk, Learn. So they go to carewalklearn.com. That platform helps people in caregiving, but specifically those who are employed outside of the home. Mm. Um, AARP did this wonderful research, and they found out that 76% of the people in a workplace are family caregivers. Mm. So the Care, Work, Learn platform helps the employee who is a family caregiver to find resources to join our weekly caregiver coaching sessions because we have those oh good every yeah. tuesday at 11 a.m pacific we have on zoom caregiver coaching we wow. help employees who are caregivers we help family caregivers find solutions find answers we we support them there so through care work learn the employees and caregivers can connect find providers Join us for coaching. And then we have mini courses in it where you could sit on your computer for an hour and take a little mini course. You learn about how to help a Parkinson's patient be well. You learn about the A's to Z of assisted living. You learn about how to reclaim your life. Right. When you, because when you're a caregiver, very often your life is lost in yeah. the life of the person you're caring for. So we have a course about reclaiming your time and, and self-care. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what advice do you have for someone who might have to take a leave at work to care give? I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of emotions behind that. First advice. Well, I have three pieces to that. First thing is the the human resource department may have a lot of help, but they may not know that you, the employee, needs that help mm-hmm. unless you speak up. Right. So first advice is share your needs with the HR department. Some people are concerned about that because they don't want the bias or the stigma of, oh, you might quit this job in a six months because you have to go be a caregiver. Right. But if the employee speaks up and goes to HR and say, I need help, that's a really, really important thing because there may be help there and the employee doesn't know it. So first, the first advice, speak up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second advice is engage in planning. Many companies don't know that our Care, Work, Learn platform offers no-cost elder care employee assistance. Mm. So there are companies that don't have EAPs. But at Care, Work, Learn, we have a no-cost EAP program. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So planning there. Last advice, self-care. Because when you care for yourself, they're caring for yourself. is an investment in the life of the person you're caring for. Right. Now, where can listeners connect with the National Care Council? I'm sure you have so many great resources, whether that's the website, social media. National Care Planning. So carecalifornia.org or just if somebody just types in Care Planning Council, it will bring up many of our links so they can get that information in there. We have and then they can meet us on Facebook. They can follow us on Coffee. Um, chronic illness, toxic coffee and cake. They can follow us on Tuesdays where we have the caregiver coaching. Um, the caregiver coaching is called going home, staying home because that's the bigger part of care is when your loved one is at a hospital or the rehab, mm-hmm. when they go home, how do you care for them? How do you prevent them from going back to the hospital? Right. So that's the reason that that, that weekly coaching is called that. Okay. So if they type in going home, um, staying home, going, they will find us. All right. Lots of good information today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? The long-term care planning, which is that process that most families should be engaged in, 
that's a long process. So it could take families up to a year to put it together. We want the world to know that if you if you start the process now before you need it in a crisis, the likelihood of you being able to care for your loved one and to care for them in a gratifying way is there. So we are encouraging everyone, even even if the only thing that we can give you is this guide. We have a guide. It's a roadmap. We're encouraging every family to contact us to get this guide. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. That was the Northern California Care Planning Council. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit careforcalifornia.net. That's careforcalifornia.net. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station. My next guest is Marlies Perez, Division Chief of Community Services for the California Department of Healthcare Services. She's here to discuss the California Medication-Assisted Treatment Expansion Project, which is all about opioid prevention, treatment, and recovery services statewide. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourself and provide a little background on what you do? My name is Marlies Perez. I am with the California State Department of Healthcare Services, and I oversee uh, funding that comes into California uh, around federal um, opioid funding that we've been receiving, opioid settlement funds, and other substance use disorder and mental health services funding. Great. So you're here to talk about opioids. What is an opioid for those who might not know? So opioids are, there's prescribed opioids. There's also um, illegal manufactured opioids. And so there's many names of them. Um, Some folks are probably familiar with like oxycodone, hydrocodone, codeine, morphine. There's also heroin. Um, And also more in the news lately has been fentanyl, which is, you know, a synthetic opioid that is extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. So is opioid addiction, is that considered a chronic relapsing disease? Yes. Substance use disorders is is sort of the general classification of the disease. Um, Other folks call it addiction. And opioids are a chronic relapsing disease. They're part of, you know, there's, there's folks that can be addicted to alcohol, opioids, methamphetamines, other drugs. But it is a chronic disease, meaning that there's not a cure, but there are treatments you know, services available and individuals can move into and sustain long-term recovery and just lead very productive lives. Oh, good. Well, let's talk about fentanyl because I know people are hearing so much about it in the news. What is it exactly and why is it so dangerous? Yeah, so why fentanyl is so dangerous is it's, it's the potency of it. And so when you think about comparing it to a, a different opioids such as heroin, um, you know, it's really 50 to 100 times um, more potent than that or more potent than morphine. So the individual that is utilizing fentanyl is getting just so much more of the opioid in their system. Uh, So with that, what happens is, and we'll talk a little bit about this, when an individual is overdosing from utilizing opioids, it's going to require you know, more of that medication, potentially naloxone. Um, Also, unfortunately, individuals that are utilizing fentanyl or even carfentanyl, um, their odds of overdosing are much higher. The risks are higher um, just because of having that flood of the opioids um, into the individual system. And who's at risk for opioid abuse? You know, anybody that is going to 
have access to opioids is going to be at risk. Um, and I say that because there's, there's lots of different risk factors. So there are some individuals that, you know, they suffer from chronic pain and they have been perhaps, um, you know, provided opioids through their physician. And so they may misuse those accidentally um, or maybe purposely because they're in a lot of pain. So, you know, there could be some misuse there that there's that risk. Um, there's also individuals that do have a substance use disorder. Um, they may be using um, other substances that aren't opioids, but there can be cross-contamination or they may be thinking, you know, that they have gotten some pill off the street that is, you know, maybe even for a mental health disorder condition, and it actually has some fentanyl in it. So they don't even realize um, that they could have that in in their, their drug supply. Oh, wow. um, also, you know, high risk is um, young people. We're really concerned about young people. Uh, we're seeing just the statistics of not only overdoses, vastly increasing with young people and and especially what's being known as a fentapil. Um, and once again, that is a pill that perhaps the young person or adults are purchasing on the dark web, and they think it is something that it isn't, and it has fentanyl, um, and it's laced with, with fentanyl. Um, or they go and they go to a party and their friends have, you know, oh, take this, you're, you know, it looks like you have some anxiety, and that could, you know, have opioids in it as well. So th there's a lot of people at risk for using opioids um, intentionally or unintentionally. Could you tell me what an SUD is and can prescribed medicine lead to an SUD? Yeah, so a substance use disorder is, as we've been talking a little bit about, it is a chronic relapsing brain disease. Mm -hmm. And so opioids are one substance that could lead to an individual with a substance use disorder. What makes it really tricky is with a substance use disorder, um, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate based on age, race, ethnicity, um, how much money somebody makes. Um, it's a disease that can, anybody can have this disease. That's what makes it so dangerous. And that's why, you know, talking to you today and educating folks about this um, is so important. But it also is, like I mentioned, very treatable. And so prescribed medication, what we have found in, in America in general, and unfortunately just across the world, um, is, you know, several years ago, how we got into the opioid epidemic was based on prescribed medication. Um, you know, physicians were told opioids aren't addictive, um, they can be prescribed for pain, uh, and unfortunately that was misinformation. Um, opioids can be very addictive. So that has really led to just vast numbers increases of overdoses. And so that's really what started the opioid epidemic. Um, the, the most current one, we've always had issues in our country around heroin and other opioids. Um, but this opioid epidemic really started with prescribed medication. Um, unfortunately, it has turned into um, moving into those synthetic opioids that we were just talking about around fentanyl. Um, you know, those are far more potent and are, are unfortunately easier to hide because it's smaller. Um, like the amount of fentanyl that you need to overdose can be as small as a few grains of salt if you're, um, you know, ingesting that. 
Mm. And so it's, it's very concerning, you know. So I think our message to folks that are out there today um, is if you have, go to your medicine cabinet, look and see if you have any opioids. If you're not utilizing them properly, just, you know, destroy them. Um, you shouldn't have those in the house. If you're not utilizing it, you don't need it. You really need to properly dispose of it because, unfortunately, other folks that may have an addiction uh, may get a hold of those. And so prescribed medication, we've made a lot of headway um, here in California as well, getting that message out about the dangers, um, but we still all need to make sure we're very attentive to that. Doctors have been really getting better about how much they prescribe, the quantities, and, you know, talking about the risks. But when you see all the news about the opioid epidemic currently, a lot of it is linked to those synthetic opioids, like I mentioned, fentanyl. Obviously, we know that opioids are prescribed for pain, but are there alternatives to opioids? There are alternatives. Um, Of course, there's, for all of us, different levels of pain. You know, we always recommend you should be working with your individual physician on your individual, you know, level of pain. How long have you had the pain? Is it chronic or is it, you know, something that is just going to be for a short period of time? Of course, you know, there's always the -the over-the-counter or you know, higher doses of like Motrin or Tylenol or, you know, those type of uh, medications that you can use for pain. There's also other alternatives like physical therapy and acupuncture, things like that. Um, But once again, we just really encourage folks um, to just be aware of the dangers of the opioids and to be, you know, talking to their physician about what's right for them. What are the symptoms of an opioid overdose? Yeah, so what happens when someone is moving into an overdose is I just want to step back and talk a little bit about how opioids impact our brain because that really helps you understand better the overdose. But we have in our brain these little receptors. They're called MU receptors. And what happens is the opioid gets on those receptors, and if it's the right level dosage, it can help minimize pain. I mean, that's why it is prescribed by doctors. Um, but what happens if too much of it is on that that receptor? An individual, they could just lose consciousness. Um, they may start to have their breathing slow down. Uh, they, they're just very unresponsive. Um, they might go pale. Because basically what's really happening is they're starting not to be able to breathe. Um, and so this can happen pretty rapidly uh, depending on you know, once again, that, that impact of the opioid on that receptor. Um, unfortunately, sometimes people may just assume someone has like fallen asleep or something. Um, but you will see some of these other other signs that you need to get help immediately. Call 911 and hopefully you have um, the reversal medication naloxone available um, that you could administer for that individual. Now, what is, um, is it pronounced Noxalone? It's pronounced Naloxone. Naloxone. So yeah, it's a, it's a very safe medication. Um, so right now, I don't have any opioids in my system. If you were to administer it to me, I wouldn't feel any effects of it. What, what the naloxone does, and it's been around for many years, this is not a new medication. Um, it's been shown that the efficacy of it, um, there's lots of laws, even here in California, like Good Samaritan laws, where You could go and administer it, you know, any of us, and a lot of the formulations of it have instructions right on the box. It's basically the version a lot of folks are familiar with is the internasal version, where it's kind of like an asthma medication that you would squirt in somebody's nose. 
Um, but basically what it does, so kind of think back to the individual's brain, got the opioid on those receptors that's suppressing the breathing. The naloxone immediately goes into the system and pushes all of that opioid off of that receptor. So that individual immediately starts breathing again. And they're, they're basically, you know, just literally come up. They're probably kicking and screaming when they come out of it because they're just so, like, literally brought back to life. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's very, very crucial in our battle against the opioid epidemic is that it be widely available um, across California, and um, it's very, very important. And once again, while it is known, like, as a medication, um, there's lots of places that you can, unfortunately, it's not available over the counter at this time, but it can be um, prescribed and there's other avenues where it can, you know, be given. Sometimes um, we've seen now doctors that are prescribing an opioid have been co-prescribing the naloxone. So oh, wow. they have it available just in case um, of an emergency, because sometimes um, I think it just needs to be clear to all of the listeners out there it could be accidental. It could be we've seen elderly folks that, right. you know, they think they're taking their medication properly, but maybe they forgot that they just took it. Right. And then they get too much in their system. So it isn't just that everybody that has an opioid overdose has a substance use disorder. There's accidental. And like I mentioned before, it can be laced with other substances. Um, you know, they could be thinking they're getting one thing and they're, they're not. So it's, it's just very risky. Sure. Is there any way to stop or reverse an opioid overdose? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I mean, once that opioid is on that receptor outside of naloxone, there hasn't been anything proven yet um, that can reverse the overdose. Um, and as I mentioned, it is like the internasal spray. You'll also see like healthcare professionals have it um, available in a formulation of like a you know, an injectable type of like with a needle, um, things like that. But really, um, at this point, just naloxone is the only way to, to reverse an opioid overdose. Let's go over some of the statistics for the opioid epidemic. So unfortunately, what we have found um, here specifically to California is our rates of overdoses early on in this epidemic were not as high as back east. Um, but what was really ravaging back east was first that prescription, you know, having so many prescriptions, not that we weren't seeing that impact in California, but it really was far more back east. But then fentanyl came on the scene back east, and we saw those levels increase even more. And what we're really seeing in California over the last few years is that also that impact of fentanyl. So in California, just in 2021, there were more than 7,000 opioid overdose deaths. And so of those 7,000 deaths, more than 5,000 of these were related to fentanyl. So you can see how fentanyl is really changing the nature of this epidemic in California. And um, unfortunately, it's also, while it is impacting all, you know, like I mentioned before, races, ethnicity, ages, everything, sex, um, we are seeing much higher rates uh, with our American Indian and Alaskan Native populations. Um, so we're really concerned about them. We're also really concerned about our young people because those um, young people, the overdose rates are increasing with them significantly as well. Let's talk about medication-assisted treatment, or MAT. What is that? 
So when an individual does have an opioid use disorder, it's one of the few uh, substance use disorders where there's a medication that can help treat it. And so what it is, is it's a long-standing, proven, evidence-based medication, and there's different formulations of it, but it's called medication-assisted treatment. And so when an individual has that opioid use disorder, they can take medication. Once again, it has to be prescribed by their doctor. There's different formulations. You're going to have, you know, some time to figure out which one is going to work best for you and just your chemistry and how you're made up. Um, But that coupled with some counseling, it has just, the results are just unbelievable as to how folks can recover and even more so than most other chronic diseases like diabetes. So what type of medications are used in MAT? So right now there's three predominant medications. And once again, there's going to be different formulations of all three of these. Um, but the first is known as buprenorphine. And, and there's different um, product names. Some, some folks are really familiar with Suboxone. But it's basically um, a formulation that you take. Once again, it's going to depend on how the doctor prescribes it. Um, but you can take it like underneath the tongue, um, inside the cheek, other things like that. There's also like a monthly injection. Uh, so that's, that's one type. Um, there's another known as methadone, and this is more a, like it's a liquid that you take. Um, and once again, um, this is going to be for select patients. Like everybody is going to need like a different medication. So I think it's just really important to ensure, depending on the, the nature of how long, you know, you've had the opioid use disorder um, and other circumstances. And then the third is naltrexone, and this is a daily pill or an injection. And so now this one, um, you know, there's different pros and cons for all of them. So once again, I would just encourage if anybody is, you know, looking to seek treatment is to work with their physician. We have a lot of information available as well on our website to um, just help guide folks to, to see what's available and what might work best for them. Now, is MAT a proven method to help treat patients with opioid use disorder? Yes, it is evidence-based. There is a tremendous amount of research around the efficacy of all three of these medications. And once again, it really is a part of, in combination with getting that behavioral health support, that that counseling, um, those paired together um, can be the most effective. But we just highly encourage people, like, really look into MIT. You don't need to do it on your own. Um, This medication can really, really help. Um, It's found that when medication-assisted treatment is used, the outcomes are far, far better than someone that is not using any medication for an opioid use disorder. Now, how long will someone need to use MAT? It's a great, you know, it's a great question. Um, There really is a lot of research out there that, you know, if you can use MAT for more than a year or two, you're going to have the best rate of success for the long term. Just keeping in mind, like the the MIT can help an individual get into long-term recovery, but this disease doesn't have a cure. And so you have to continually be, you know, maintaining um, the the effects of this disease. Now, that doesn't mean that an individual has to be on MIT their whole lives. Um, What they have found in the research is individuals can, what they, you know, it's called tapering down to how much medication they need. 
Um, there's some individuals that stop using the medication. But the critical piece is you don't want to stop too soon um, because that could cause relapse. And this is a chronic relapsing disease. Um, and so we just really want to make sure when an individual starts MIT, they understand the, you know, the risks of relapse if they stop too soon. So it's really being in communication with their physician, whether that is, you know, their primary care physician or if it's in a, a licensed treatment provo- provider or wherever the case may be. But they shouldn't just stop um, because that really could risk them relapsing. Now, will MAT interrupt someone's lifestyle? You know, when an individual needs treatment services, whether it's for an opioid use disorder or substance use disorder, their lifestyle is already pretty interrupted. Um, and really what treatment can do is bring you know, organization back into the individual's life. It, it can be life-saving. Um, and so while depending on what level of treatment an individual may need, um, you know, we have been really working hard in California to have it more widely available in our Choose Change California campaign. We have a treatment locator, different levels of care. So it really just depends on what you need as an individual. But because there's so many places that it's available, we really, it can fit into your daily lifestyle. And over time, it just becomes, you know, as in anything else, um, you know, something that is very manageable. Now, what are some common myths about MAT? Um, So one of the largest ones that really plays into the stigma is that if you're using medication, then you're just, you know, trading one addiction for another. But to be crystal clear, when an individual is using MAT, it's really working with that brain chemistry so they're not getting high. The individual isn't receiving that that high, um, but it's basically kind of balances out what damage that opioid has done in the brain. And so it is not trading one addiction for another. And as we mentioned, we don't recommend an individual stopping MIT treatment for at least two years or so and always talking with their doctor. You know, some folks may have to be on the medication their whole life. Some may not. It's just like any other, you know, chronic disease like diabetes. Sometimes you can you know, gain a level of control with your disease and have it managed. And other times you're going to need medication. So, and then I think another big myth is, you know, I, I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm managing this um, and I don't need help. And, and really, you know, we have a lot of, once again, information um, about just the symptoms of the disease, you know, assessments available. But what I would encourage folks to do is if you're even starting to ask those questions, it's just to seek out and, and ask for some help. And, um, or if you see a loved one that may need some help, like we've got to take the shame out of this disease. We don't shame folks, you know, that have other chronic disease like heart disease or others. Like we've got to remove that shame because that keeps people from, from wanting to get help. And, um, you know, the same, another big myth is around, well, I can just stop. You know, and we hear that um, a lot, unfortunately. And when you look at the statistics around opioid use disorders in general, um, you see that that's not the case. People need help with their addiction. And once again, this is one of the substance use disorders where there is medication available. So we need to help people to explore that option for them and make sure they're aware of that. Like just because one individual 
has obtained recovery themselves on one path, that doesn't work for all people. And so really ensuring that folks are getting the right information um, from trusted sources and trusted individuals. Got it. Now, does private insurance and Medi-Cal provide help with this disease? Yes. So when it comes to Medi-Cal, which is something that our Department of Healthcare Services oversees, uh, we do have medication-assisted treatment available. And um, so it is available for all Medi-Cal beneficiaries. And so depending on your local area, you know, those three medications that I mentioned, um, you know, go in, talk to your provider. We have our treatment locator listed on that Choose Change California website. Um, You can see, you know, what's available there as well. Um, Also, private insurance, it's going to vary as to what, you know, depending on who your insurance company is, but we've seen a marked and vast improvement in the availability of MAT with private insurance as well. Where's treatment available? Yeah, so there's lots of different settings. Um, We have in California what's known as a licensed narcotic treatment program. Um, They are the only setting that can provide the methadone version of MAT. We also have outpatient um, substance use disorder treatment programs. We have primary care settings, meaning like your your individual doctor, um, emergency departments and hospitals. Um, a lot of them, we've, we have a special program for them. Over half of them are now providing MAT. Um, also, our residential facilities. And so, if you go to our choosemat.org site um, or Choose Change California, um, you'll see there is a treatment locator. You can look up where you live and you can see what's available in your area. Great. Now, where can I receive more information? So our website um, is choosemat.org, and there you can find all kinds of resources um, about the addiction itself. There's some really great um, resources and trainings about addiction um, and other places of where you can find treatment. Um, We also have on our California MAT website, um, it's californiamat.org. There's lots of training videos if you want to learn more about addiction or opioid use disorders in general. We have some of that available and tons of information of various projects um, that we have for public use. What should I do if I think someone I know may be addicted to a substance? Yeah, so it's, you know, when an individual has this disease, it's a very lonely disease. Um, Unfortunately, they often feel that it's a moral failing. So it's really hard to go through this alone. So really just support from family or friends, Um, This is an integral part. And so, you know, you can play such an important role in helping them, you know, get treatment services, walking with them through this process. It is a chronic relapsing disease, meaning they're not most of the time they're not going to get it the first time and just encouraging them to go back and and continue to get the, the help that they need and just being educated about it. And so, you know, I would just highly encourage folks to, you know, learn more about the disease. So if they come across, you know, the signs and symptoms and their friends or loved ones, that they're available and prepared to help. Lastly, is there anything else you'd like to add? I I would say the only thing I would want to add just on a a personal note is we all have to be a part of the solution. Uh, We can't, you know, we have to put away the myths and the judgment, and we all have to make this a conversation. The people that need help Um, There are statistics out there that one in 10 individuals that have a substance use disorder, only one of them goes to get help. 
And a lot of the time, it's because of the stigma around this disease. So if we don't work to combat against that stigma, the people that we know and love are not going to get the help that they need, and they're not going to get better, and some of them are going to die. And so we have to all make the effort to learn about it and to talk about it. Great. Thank you so much. That was Marlise Perez with the California Department of Healthcare Services. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit choosechangeca.org. That's choosechangeca.org. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station.